If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, this morning is, uh, last week we ministered on standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and looking uh, and remembering our, our day of independence, the celebration of our independence as a nation and our freedom and uh, fighting to preserve that, connecting it to the liberty that we have in Christ and understanding that if you're going to be free, you're going to have to fight to keep it. There's an adversary. I wish uh, it just, you just did a one-time freedom was a one-time thing. I wish salvation, we just prayed that one little sinner's prayer. Wouldn't it be cool to pray that 30-second prayer and never have to pray again? Amen. Pray that one thing, man. Just that, you know, that, 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 that just a miracle scriptural pill that you could take. And just be done, that's it, you're good for life. But it isn't like that. There's an adversary that comes. In fact, even as Jesus taught on the parable of the sower, he says every time the word is sown, every time you hear the word of God preached, the Bible says the enemy comes immediately to try to steal that word and to snatch it out of your heart. The one thing he doesn't want is for you to get the truth of God's word planted in your heart and for that word to produce the harvest that it contains. He fights against that desperately. And so to stand in liberty, it's going to take a fight. And uh, to preserve our nation, it's going to take a fight. How many would agree? And so we have to be a part of that. And uh, I shared in first service and that just the idea when it comes to being a nation, we have what we call uh, the Pledge of Allegiance to our nation. And in the Pledge of Allegiance, we declare that we are one nation under God. We're not 50, 50 separate states doing our own thing on the same land mass. But we are one nation under God. And in that, we are one people. And if you are born into the United States as a citizen, as I said last week, then, then you are a citizen of the United States. You may live in a specific state. We live in California, but we are equal citizens with all the other people in the rest of the United States. You go to any state over there, you can, be, you can, resident out, you can become a resident there, but you, that, that's part of your country. Amen? And so we're one people. If you, uh, if you become an immigrant and you migrate to, to the United States, you go through the process. And then at the end of that process, you pledge allegiance to the nation. You understand that you're here and you work for the welfare. You're an individual here, but you're part of a nation. And so you're part of a body. It's a corporate unity. And the same thing is when it comes to the body of Christ. When you're born again, the Bible says, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, says you're baptized into the body. We're not individual believers. We are the body of Christ. And like nations, we have different churches. So nations, have, I mean, like our states, we have, you know, different states and different laws and different, you know, guidelines and things for each state. But we still have a corporate covering as a nation. Well, the body of Christ is the same way. We have different denominations, different churches and people, but we have one corporate covering, which is the Word of God. Amen? And this makes us one together. But, and so when we come together, we're not divided, we're united. Amen? And so understanding that and being a part of that, and then on the same thing, when we understand that, what one does affects everybody. And we see it nationally. We, we, we're seeing even more so today that when somebody acts out in an act of violence, next thing you know, they're passing laws that are affecting everybody else. One person's act is now being transferred on to everybody else. Say, well, wait a minute. Why don't you deal with that dodo head over there? No, I didn't have any part of that. I wasn't involved in that. I didn't, I didn't plan any of that. I didn't, you know, I, 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 know, I didn't interject anything into that. So why am I being subject to that? Because we're not individuals. We're a corporate body. 
And so you're trying to do things to affect the whole. But same thing in the body of Christ. Just be, when we assemble together here, this isn't the only time we assemble. Because when you got saved, you were baptized into the body. What does that mean? That means when you go out and you're just doing your own thing and you're having a, It's not just your life. It's not just your own thing. It has an effect on everybody else. Corporate unity is such a powerful force. And there is an accountability that comes with that. And so protecting liberty and freedom is so important. And as that begins to be eroded away we have to figure out what do we do how can we reconcile that how can we find uh, redemption and reconciliation so second corinthians chapter five and uh, in putting this together and, and i don't know about you and i said it again in first service but it, this same thing is that there, there's an uneasiness in my spirit for the hour that we are in I don't, I don't have any other way to say it. There's just an uneasiness. I was talking to a young lady after first service, and uh, she, she's getting involved, and uh, just a young adult. But, but, you know, just saying, you know, I've never voted. I've never been involved in that, but I, I need to be involved. I need to be engaged. I can't just sit by as a bystander. Because if you're not engaged, you're for the good. You're disengaged for the bad. So if we don't engage for the good, we allow the bad to transpire. Are you with me? And sometimes I feel like our engagement doesn't make a difference, but non-engagement makes more difference than engagement does because it allows the other side to progress in that. And so it's so important, but she is getting involved, but, but, but I'm looking at and, and there's just a, an uneasiness. This has been an amazing week in the fabric of our nation, the things that we hear when we have our FBI director get up and say that somebody completely violates the law, but they're not going to be prosecuted, and then that same person is allowed to seek the highest office in the I go, are you kidding me? And, and, and you listen to everything. And so, but watch what happened. So here's a conduct of one response and some things that are happening, but, but it's having a corporate effect on us as a nation. Are you hearing me this morning? It's having a corporate effect on the fabric. And, and then we go through the things. We hear about a, the conduct of, of, of a couple of officers that are in question in a couple of shootings in Minnesota and, and, and in Louisiana. And those things are under investigation. But before any of the facts ever find out, everybody the, the conduct of one is being imposed on everybody. Are you with me? And so with that, and then we see that happen, and then we have this guy show up at, at a peaceful march on Thursday afternoon, and I'm driving back from an appointment, I'm listening to Fox News on my radio in the middle of Megyn Kelly's uh, 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 story is, is the shooting in Dallas begins to take place. Say, wait a minute, I mean live. I'm listening to it live as she's reporting on it. I said, we have an officer down the, and, the, and, and I'm on the radio so I can't see it. Say, we take the camera off. We want to show up so people falling on the ground. So we find out that there's one person who sets out with a, in a rampage and an idea based upon what somebody else did. He's going to get even on behalf of other people and so he's going to kill people out of a racial act of, of prejudice and injustice and so we have the assassination of five of our law officers live happening like this and, and, and it's just crazy what's happening thinking my goodness what's going on and then we look at the shape of, of, of our election coming up and our candidates and go, you know what and, and you kind of feel like you're caught between the lesser of two evils however thought we get to a nation that's like that and I said it earlier I'm talking just on a minute here a little bit different in second service here but uh, we're we're going to talk about being a volunteer in a moment, but how many know to run for president? You have to volunteer to do that, to run for government, to run for office. And so what has happened is when people get engaged and when we volunteer, the minute if you want to run for office today in, in anything, whether it's city government, whether it's a school board, whether it is board of supervisors here or something, next thing you know, your life comes under examination and scrutiny. 
And then people look to find anything they can negative about you and detrimental against you so they can discredit you being able to serve. And so you get good people say, wait a minute, I don't want to have to, I don't have to put, I'm, I'm just trying to volunteer, I'm just trying to make something, I want to make a difference. And so I step up to make a difference. Next thing you know, I get lambasted and, and, and examined. And, and, and so good people start pulling back from volunteering. And so I wonder, well, how do we get the yo-yos running for office? Because good people don't want to endure the criticism and the examination that comes with volunteering to serve. But if the good people don't want to endure the criticism and don't find the strength to endure it, then who's going to take over the bad people? And same thing in the kingdom of God. If we, if we get involved in church, we go, man, I got involved in church. I started serving. Next thing you know, people are criticizing me for the way I, you know, folded the bulletin. Somebody's criticizing me because I didn't say hello. People are I'm just trying to serve. I'm just trying to help. You know what? I'm just trying to be good and make a difference. Next thing you know, I come in all kinds of trouble. And, and so then we pull back. Well, then who's serving? Moving right along. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new person, born again, new identity, new values, new direction. You are a new creation, brand new. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That means I'm not trying to hold on to my old life and sanctify it. I'm trying to live the brand new life that is in Christ. All things become new. Now all things are of God who was who has, watch this, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. How many would like to know what your ministry is? Amen. It's right there, reconciliation. You have a ministry given to every one of us of reconciliation. God is doing one thing in the earth. He's working to redeem and reconcile humanity to Himself. Everything God is doing in the earth is for one purpose, to reconcile a lost humanity back to Himself. Man wasn't created to be lost. God didn't create man to judge man. God created man for fellowship with Him. God created man to love Him. So everything God is doing is to fulfill the purpose that He had for man's creation in reconciling us back to Him. And once we receive this reconciliation, He gives us the ministry. Ministry means serving. That we serve others the truth and we serve others to see them receive this ministry of reconciliation. That is, watch this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God was the Father was in the Son reconciling the world to Himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, as we are ambassadors for Christ. Now watch this. As though God were pleading through us. What a powerful word that Paul is saying to the church. That God uses us. And as if God Himself. Did you hear that? God was in Christ so Christ is here. And He says it's the Father in me that does the work. How many remember where Jesus said that? You're looking at me but it is the Father in me doing the work. And then when we receive Christ as our Savior the life of God comes in us and now it is God in us working through us and actually speaking through us. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, For He made Him 
who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Father, I thank You in these next few moments this morning. Lord, that You will speak to our heart. Lord, I pray that You would stir something up within each and every one of us. Father, let something begin here this morning that cannot be stopped. In Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse five says this that or, or verse nine says that uh, I believe I, I'm looking, but, but it is seven eight or nine somewhere in there. You read it, you'll find it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but it says, well, we're right there in second. Just turn over to chapter eight. You're right there. I can turn a page and see it. Chapter eight and verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look there. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been ministering on grace. And trying to get that into our heart. The truth of God's grace. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That for your sake. That for your sake. That for your sake. He became poor. That you through his poverty, might be made rich. Wow. So what happens is, is that we know that we are saved by grace through faith. Amen? That faith in the grace of God saves us. So it is the grace of God that worked in Christ that produced ourselves. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He who was rich became poor for us, that through him, and so he was graced, he was empowered, he was endued with the ability to be that for us. And then when we get saved, what Paul is saying there, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And so grace will work through us as though God himself were imploring others through us. His grace will work through us so that God works through you for the sake of someone else. And it works in an amazing way that even to the point that we sacrifice for the benefit of others. Wow. So I ask you today, if we are one nation under God as the United States and we're citizens, if we're one church, one body in Christ and we're members, then when things like this begin to happen in our nation and around, what is our response? How are we to respond? Does it concern us at all? Come on, that's Dallas. Who cares what goes on in Dallas? Texas is hot. Who cares? Who cares what happens in Texas? Who cares? Minnesota. Man, Louisiana, that's a long ways away. Man, we're California. It doesn't affect us. No, we're not. We're one nation. We're one nation. We're one people. And it should rock us to the core. It should affect us. This isn't, that's not Dallas. That's not, this is my nation. It's not, I'm not separate. This is my home. This is where my children have been born. This is what I was born into. This is where my children are living. This is where my soon-to-be seventh grandchild is going next month, August 12th. Jamie's pregnant with my third granddaughter. I'll have seven grandchildren. This is where my grandchildren are going to be raised. This is our nation. This is our home. I have a son that lives in Pennsylvania. On the other side. So I have family in the nation. Are you listening to me this morning? Yes. 
So how is this to affect us? Look at your outline as we go through this this morning. The scripture tells us that God was in Christ seeking to reconcile the world to himself, which covers every person, every man, woman, and child of all nations and races of the world. I've been blessed to be in 11 different nations. Every time I go and preach in a different nation, people get saved everywhere you go because God loves the whole world. Salvation and reconciliation is to the world, not just to a few. Amen. Today as Christians, we have potential to demonstrate a model of reconciliation in our troubled world. If we do our part where we can, here, where we are, we can possibly stem the tide of this divide and keep it from reaching the shores of our communities and our city. Here's the key. It's happening in there, but if we don't respond, it's coming here. And so what do we do? How do we stand with another? We don't just disengage ourselves and disenfranchise ourselves and say, that's not us, that's another state. No, if it happens to them, it happens to us. If one suffers, we all suffer. And the only way to stop is we rise up where we are to do what we can, where we are to begin to build the bridge, to bring, bring restoration and work through reconciliation. Are you with me this morning? So think about it. We can keep it from coming here. Look inside. The Judeo-Christian ethos present in our national culture gives us some basis for hope. But I believe reconciliation ministry is primarily the responsibility of the living church. So we used to have some core values, but that's not so sure anymore. So it falls back upon us, the church. I believe the reconciliation ministry belongs to the living church because there's no substitute for the atonement of sin provided through Christ. History tells us that in every great season of revival and renewal in our nation and the world, the Christian community has stepped forth with and placed considerable emphasis on open acknowledgement of sin, calling for changed attitudes and just actions. We're singing about it this morning. God, I give myself away to you and examining ourselves and, and being honest with ourselves in the presence of God. Or in other words, every time there was an awakening, there was also true repentance. And sometimes there's a need for that. I heard Matt did a video the, the, the other day, posted It's good, but you hear repentance today. We don't like the word repentance, but there's a need for up-to-date repentance in our lives. Sometimes it can be done when, when we're looking at these things and the corporate issue like this. It can be done through organizing events and ceremonies which representatives of offended subcultures or representatives of offending subcultures have an opportunity to express regret and or extend forgiveness. That can happen and we can organize that but there's going to have to be something more than just an event. Our nation needs a change of heart. We need a change of heart. And, and if the nation needs a change of heart, we live in that nation. And unless we know how to renew our mind, that cha- the, the, the thing that is affecting our nation is eventually going to come into the church and affect our corporate life together here. So think about it. A good example, in 19, October 18, 1994, there was something that happened called the Memphis Miracle. The, the Pentecostal revival in America really broke out in, in, in our uh, time frame in 1906 with the Azusa Street Revival it began in Topeka, Kansas at a little Bible school where a group of Bible school students started seeking the Lord about the baptism and the Holy Spirit and, and, and the evidence of speaking another tongue and they were just seeking God next thing you know God poured out His Spirit and then out of that a revival began to be birthed but in, in that Bible school there was a young man there who wanted to go to Bible school there but he couldn't go to Bible school there because he was black and his name was William Seymour so what he did is he had a chair and he sat in his 
his chair in the hallway and, and the door would be open and he sat out in the hallway and because of the segregation at that time he had to sit in the hallway and take note but he's sitting in there and God's working in his life and so this young black man being open and hungry for God is the tool that God uses and he's blind in one eye and he's not well educated and, and, he, and he's gruff and, and he's hard to, be, to understand he's not very articulate he doesn't finish his sentences like me and all that but, but he <laughs> but he goes and God begins to use him and he ends up at a horse stable on Azusa Street in Los Angeles and he has this just an old swept out horse stable and a barn that is there and God begins to show up in this young black man who wasn't allowed in the room God begins to move through his life and he has a pulpit that's made out of two old wooden chicken crates stacked on top of each other most of the time he just sat there and prayed with his head in the chicken coop inside the chicken crate and just prayed and God poured out his spirit for years upon that and missionaries were raised up and God launched a move of God that came through a man that was segregated and set apart and then out of that move of God organizations were formed and churches were formed but then even though God used that young black man at that time to birth that revival there was still a segregation that happened and then October 18, 1994 there was an assembly gathering and pastors and churches came together and they repented of the injustice that had been done through the segregation and they had a foot washing ceremony that was there and people washing each other's feet praying for forgiveness for the sins of the previous generation and God God birthed a miracle and he brought restoration. But it came because people wanted and they chose to flow in reconciliation. So it takes more than a ceremony. We must follow the example and accept the mantle as did Nehemiah and the prophets in his era. For time's sake, I read it in first service, but I don't have time to read it. But Nehemiah hears of the broken down walls of Jerusalem. He says, the moment I heard about the condition of my nation, I heard about Jerusalem and that the city is unprotected. The walls have crumbled down. I begin to seek God with fasting and with prayer. And I cried out to God and I said, God, forgive me and forgive our fathers forgive us of our sins he confessed his sin he confessed the ancestral sin he took responsibility and he confessed and he said God you could work reconciliation you could move and he said I'm the cupbearer in the king's court and said God remember your word and restore your people and restore your land and grant to me favor this day with the king because I am the cupbearer in his court which means I am the expendable one I'm the one who tastes the drink and I'm the one who tastes the food to see if it is contaminated with poison and if I live the king eats if I die he asks for an another meal and so I, I'm not a man of position I'm not a man of stature I'm not the one who is there to present petition to the king I'm there to protect him from an attack against his life I am an expendable one in the king's court but something is stirring inside of me something needs to be done about the condition of the walls of the city and I'm being stirred by God he said to make a difference so I'm petitioning you God and God hears the prayer of one man who receives the mantle to operate in reconciliation my question to you is what will happen if you choose to be the one person who says God I will rise up in this day for the sake of my nation for the sake of my people for the sake of my children for the sake of my grandchildren this is my nation and I will do something about it I will pray 
And I will ask God to give me favor and see what will happen. And that one man's prayer of an expendable man in the king's court receives the favor of the king. And the king who could have destroyed him and put him to death granted him favor and paid for the rebuilding of the walls. Woo! Amen. So think about it. Honesty dictates that we embrace both the guilt and the grandeur that has attached itself to our various identities. The identity of an intercessor is more than male or female, race or nationality, religion or creed. It is one of the greatest tools God has given to us. It is the ministry of reconciliation. An intercessor is someone who works in the ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because to intercede is one, an intercessor is one who intercedes on behalf of another. An intercessor. You don't intercede for yourself. You're not an intercessor for yourself. I've been an intercessory prayer for myself. No. You never intercede for yourself. Intercession is standing in for the benefit of somebody else. Intercession, an intercessor is one who intercedes on behalf of another. It can be personal or it can be national. It can be a prophet for a nation, a mother for a daughter, a master for a servant, or a savior for the world. Think about it. Zechariah interceded for, I mean, uh, No. Anyway, the guy for his daughter. Amen. Don't get old. Your brain goes sideways. Amen. Servants. Masters for their servant. The centurion for his servant. Interceded for his servant. The Gentile woman for her daughter. People over and over interceded on behalf of somebody else. And God moved through their petition. Moved on behalf of another. Grace works in our life and makes us intercessors. So that we give of ourselves for the benefit of somebody else. Which is exactly what Jesus did. He who knew no sin. We sang it. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. My sin was on the cross in Him. He became sin. He who knew no sin, as we read, became sin for us. But hear me. Without an intercessor willing to stand in the gap, the divide will continue to expand. This is what I mean. Say, Pastor, why are you preaching that? Because if you're not shaken by what's happening in your nation today, then our nation is going to continue to go down the road. I have seven grandchildren. If the Lord tarries, I purpose to be a great grandfather. The blessing this week that my mom and Sue's mom got to be with their great grandchildren. And they got to enjoy them in freedom and in liberty. Amen? I, I, I want my children and my grandchildren to know that. And that freedom is worth preserving. But if we don't get involved. But see, today you live in a society. You've been culturized. Everything over the last several decades has been a cultural attack against the fabric of America. And we've produced the self-centered mindset of our nation. Where people, if there's conflict, people just keep retreating back into their own life, back into their own lives until it knocks on their doorstep. They don't care. And then when it knocks on their doorstep, they're outraged that it showed up at their house. But we have to engage before it gets to our front porch. Amen? 
You have to be engaged before it gets to your front porch. And I said it last week when it's time to stand for freedom. I'll tell you again, almost 60% of the church in America does not vote. We have people, we, Donald Trump rebuked the church. I, saw, I, I heard the speech that he did. He said, wait a minute, he says, I'm confused because we're all trying to get him saved. We get all these leaders getting together, trying current concern about whether or not he's saved. Trump just said this. He says, you know, I know the, 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 the statistics say there's somewhere between 200 and 250 million Christians in America. How come you're letting your country be taken over? How come you guys don't get How come you're so divided that you're allowing your country to be taken over, that you're not coming together and voting? What's the matter? I thought you guys were, were Christians. I thought you were one body. I thought you were one. Yeah, you, you can live in, in different houses of worship and you can worship, but you're supposed to be one body in Christ. So now we got the guy we're praying for preaching to us. That's the only thing he said that I agree with so far, but are you with me? But I can agree with that. So what does it mean? We have to be involved. Without an intercessor willing to stand in the gap, the divide will continue to expand. To intercede means to act or to interpose. Placing yourself in the mix. Look at everybody, look up here. You have to be involved. This is your nation and this is your church. If you don't get involved in your nation, you won't have your church because there are people who don't want you doing today. There are people who don't want me preaching what I'm preaching today. Supposedly somebody would get this message and say pastor you could lose your tax exempt status my God is bigger than my tax exempt status and I will not be shut up by a law that was a political twist in 1954 by Lyndon Baines Johnson to silence the voice of the church not going to happen you have to decide to take a stand what's going to make people uncomfortable I'm uncomfortable with our police officers being shot on the street I'm uncomfortable with laws being passed when a criminal commits an injustice and a crime against humanity that our legislator impose laws upon the legal citizens of our nation I'm oh. But you have to be engaged. You have to place yourself in the mix on behalf of someone in difficulty or trouble as by pleading or petition or in other words to attempt to reconcile differences between two people groups. Listen, you have one who ever lived to make intercession for you. Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus ever lives making intercession for you. Right now you have an intercessor in heaven and you are living under the benefit of his petition to the Father on your behalf. And He's pleading His blood, the blood that He shed, He's pleading on your behalf. Father, I know they love you. I know they're struggling. I know they're making a mistake. But my blood is greater than their struggle. My blood is able to overcome. And He's pleading His blood on your behalf. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and man. Christ Jesus the righteous. He is your intercessor. He is your mediator. And you're receiving the benefit of it now that you're under that benefit why not become an intercessor and a mediator for the health of your nation and the future of your children we are redeemed when we are redeemed we become part of the transcendent bride of Christ in which there is neither male nor female Jew or Greek bond or free just all with one new identity in Christ 
The Word of God declares to us that we become even more responsible for dealing with the implications of our new identity when this new life is born in us. I would said it jokingly as we ended our prayer. It would be great if you could pray one prayer and be done. But the moment you pray that prayer, you become a member connected to me. Amen. In the same way, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a righteous man. But if you look at the captivity of Israel, you know who went into captivity in Israel? Everybody. The righteous people didn't stay over here. People think, well, I'm just going to separate myself, live over here. It won't come near me. Oh, yeah, it's coming, honey. Unless you're engaged. And we want to engage before it shows up. Amen. We are in no way guilty. Hear me. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We are in no way guilty for the sins of our ancestors or any other group. Each person stands before God alone in accountability. Every one of us in this room will one day stand before God. And you won't be able to blame anybody else. I said in first service, people today, we've been taught to blame everybody. Kids today, I'm dysfunctional. I didn't have a good home. Welcome to the crowd. I just tell you right now, every home is dysfunctional. You get two people fall in love, get married. Next thing you know, they have a child. Next thing you know, the child shows them, we don't know what we're doing. And then you have one child and think, okay, I can figure out one. And then next thing you know, you have another kid. And this kid's totally different from the first kid. And then you go, now we really don't know what we're doing. And then, and, and, and then you have a third kid. And a fourth kid. And by then, you're, con- you're, you're, you're completely convinced that people have swapped things out at the hospital before you got them. <laughs> These couldn't come from you. These are aliens that somehow got implanted in, into your life. And, and, and then they get to your teenage years and they go, what's the matter with you? You're crazy. I said, I was fine before you were born. You made me dysfunctional. If you're going to blame anybody for how you are, it's your fault. Amen. You made it dysfunctional. But so we've been learned to blame. So it's our family. It's our heritage. It's where we were born. It's what we had. It's what we didn't have. It's not my fault. And I'm entitled to something better. No, you're... Oh. My notes. We have accountability. And you're not going to be able to blame somebody else for your accountability. And, 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 and then look what's happened. Parents, we bought into the lie. We're guilty because we're not doing enough for our kids. Amen. And so we, we, we're, we're just laboring ourselves. And then the kids say, well, Dad, you're never home. I have four of you to feed. Take care of you. you Describe required to do this thing. So all this stuff. Are we doing all right? No. But with that, what's it mean? It means that God is looking for volunteers who will accept the mantle of the intercessor to stand in the gap. You know what's going to happen? I said it earlier. To run for office, somebody has to volunteer to do it. You have to volunteer. And when you volunteer, you have to sign up for the criticism and the critique and everything that comes with it. And you have to believe that God will grace you to endure it. Amen. And you press through and God will give you the victory. But what's it means? You open themselves up to godly sorrow for the condition of their land and their people and confess the sins of the land to birth reconciliation. I was allowed to be 
in the birthing room. When Chum was born, we weren't allowed to go in. He was born a long time ago. <laughs> and we went back then, we weren't allowed to go in. But when our other children were born, they, they, we've had renewal, and so dads could go in. And uh, so <laughs> in that area, I've been in there when children are being born. It's chaos. And, 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 and we prepared for it. I remember going through the class. And then you rub in the water and doing all that stuff. And you get in there and all that's out the window. And you're trying to help your wife. You're touching her. Get away from me, don't touch me. She's going, okay, okay. And, 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 they're, and, they're, and they're pushing and there's agony and there's stress and everything. But, but why? Because life is being birthed. New life is being birthed. And reconciliation has to be birthed. And it's not going to come with order. And you're not just going to go, restored. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to come. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be guttural. It's going to be weeping and wailing and travailing and pushing and waiting and continuing until it's delivered. Are you with me? And that's why people, see, that's what happens. That's what happens. People get into intercession and go, hey, this is messy. Amen. Delivery rooms are messy. Messy. But then they clean up real quick after it's done, and we rejoice over the life. But without the process, you don't get the life. So worship team comes back. It should be our hope. Hear me this morning. It should be our hope that our children grand and grandchildren will not have to face and deal with the hatred and alienation that has marked the experience of this and past generations. Because of satanic strongholds rooted in the history of our past, we can break the generational curses and bridge reconciliation one life at a time. And I'll tell you with all honesty and all boldness, I am ashamed of our president when he stands up and makes a statement after the death of our officers and brings up Jim Crow and slavery and other things in the same breath and gun control and these issues over this. And when you bring up Jim Crow, you take us all the way back to what we fought a civil war and hundreds of thousands of men and women put their lives on the line and gave their blood and dredged our life in a, uh, our country in a bloody civil war to undo the injustice against the African Americans in our nation and people fought for their freedom and when you take us back and you start calling people and, and referring to people in slave terms you are not healing you are reimposing the satanic curses back upon our nation and you are not a leader you are a cursor of our nation so what does that mean it means we must desire to uncover the ancient and modern wounds of injustice, prejudice, and pride, so that they might be healed in a biblical way without self-righteous accusation or dishonest cover-up. We can't stand back and go, oh, I thank God I'm not a sinner like them. There's too much self-righteousness in the body of Christ. And that self-righteousness keeps us off our knees in repentance. It keeps us walking in a false humility, which is really called pride. 
and we won't humble ourselves because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves it takes humility to humble yourself and confess your sin and confess the sins of your nation and take ownership for them even when you did not commit them years ago when we first planted the church I'll share this illustration people didn't like it then they don't like it now I don't care it's the truth People used to get mad at me for preaching on all these issues and stuff. Look, these issues are coming down your throat right now. Yeah. Well, I don't think the church, we shouldn't talk about these issues in church. We talk about the good God. Okay, fine. We won't touch it. And then it shows up. So, no, you have to speak. You have to declare. Cry out. Cry out. But years ago, when we first started a group of people. There, there, there was a, a problem that happened in a ministry here. And, and we were just a few months old. And a group of people came to the church. And, and out of this whole group of people, in my opinion, there was only one godly couple out of the whole group. And they've been with us ever since. But out of this group, this group showed up. And we had about 35 people in our church at that time. And... About 20, 25 people came in and I had a meeting with them after I said, you know what, I'm concerned because you look like a church to take over a church coming in as a group. And uh, this was in 1990. And uh, so I said, you know, and, and, and I said, I'm concerned that if I ever have to deal with one of you, I'm going to have to deal with all of you. And they go, well, and so we started talking and I knew something about the issues that had happened there. And, 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 and they were bad issues. There's things that should have never been done. It was injustice that should have never happened. It, it was wrong. The guy was wrong. The leader was wrong. It was, it was all wrong. And I said, but you need to be able to forgive that and let that go. Or, or, or you're going to bring that here. If you don't release it, it'll come here with you. Because the way you leave always determines how you enter. So I said, you need to release that. And, and I said, besides that, God may use you to be the catalyst to bring healing and restoration to that person. God may even ask you to go back and ask for forgiveness for what you did not do. To take the responsibility to initiate forgiveness. And go and ask for forgiveness and seek reconciliation. And through your act, God can turn the heart of that person. After that one meeting... One family stayed, and they've been with us ever since, and they're dear, dear friends of ours. Amen. The rest of them just all got mad at me. Praise the Lord. You know what? I could care less. Amen. Because we gleaned the fruit and got rid of the tares. Hallelujah. Are you doing all right? Now listen, listen. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Now what? I'm, I'm a young pastor. I got 35 people. Our church doubled in one Sunday. I said, Glory to God. But how did it double? See, there are times that increase comes into your life and it looks like an increase, but you ask, how did it increase? What is that in? What's connected to that increase? And is that increase down the road, is that increase going to bring righteousness or is it going to bring problems? Doing all right? So what do I mean? That's that pride that we get. Well, I'm too proud to go. I, I'm too, I'm, it's not my fault. I have self-righteousness, self-righteousness, false humility, and pride. Hear me this morning. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our healing will not come through the halls of justice or through the legislative will of those who seek to write new laws to stem the tide against their perception of evil. 
It will only come through the healing power of the cross and the redeeming blood of Christ. So as your pastor, this is what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to become an intercessor. Not just a prayer intercessor, but an intercessor who puts himself in the mix. That you get involved. Vote. Be a voice. Stand up for truth. Speak out. Be willing to be involved in the criticism. To take some of the heat. The only way to heal the broken heart of a nation or a person is through the redeeming blood of Christ. So I want to challenge us today to reach out to local law enforcement. I came this morning, I put it out on our sign. We're going to pray for America and we're going to back the badge. Amen. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something for our law enforcement here in the near future to show them honor. But I, I encourage you as you go through this week, Every time you see a law officer, every time I go, every year when I go on the Martin Luther King March, when I'm down different places, if I have the opportunity of passing, I, I want to shake their hand. I want to tell them I love them. I want to let them know I'm praying for them. I want to support them. If ever our law enforcement needed our support, it is right now. So I want you to go out of your way to show kindness, to love on them, to express gratitude for what they do. Because whether you realize it or not, God's grace was working in the lives of those five officers. Because they ran to the fire to take the attention of the sniper off of other people. Five people. We read it about Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that for your sakes he became poor. You know the grace of our law officers that for your sakes they run to the conflict that you might be spared. They put themselves in the fray. They become an intercessor and a mediator for you daily against the injustice that's in our society. They stand in the gap for you. How much more? How could we as a nation in any way condone such an injustice against the very core of who we are? Are you with me this morning? Pray for the families of those slain in the line of duty. I said it first service. Ron Brazels dear friend every day in law enforcement I, I love his family I love him but every day he's a mediator for his people's safety we have other men and women who serve in this capacity they're mediators for our safety pray for them pray for the healing and recovery of those injured in these attacks pray for safety and the comfort of law enforcement officers throughout our nation Pray for the peace and healing throughout our nation. Our nation needs to be healed. I'm concerned. I, I really am. I'm concerned. And pray to be used by God in the ministry of reconciliation. But it'll only happen if you volunteer. God will never drag you into service. He only asks you to volunteer. It's just like here at the church. Volunteer. Get, get involved. We'll, we'll, we'll offer. We'll ask. But you have to get involved. Is it going to be messy? Absolutely. Are, are you going to be frustrated with people? Absolutely. Serve anyway. Serve anyway. Love anyway. Be bigger. Believe that God's grace is greater. That's right. Well, I did. I used to. I did. Okay. What's the results? Lead, choose, 
I'm going to ask you to do this. We prayed. We prayed for you. Other people prayed for you today. As you stood, people came around you and prayed for you. I prayed for you. Will you take five minutes and pray for our nation? Will you take five minutes and volunteer as an intercessor? As they live, they sing that song, Father, I'm giving myself away. God, use me. Would you, at the burden of Nehemiah, would you just dare to ask God to let you feel that? That when you hear the report of what's happening there, you're here, it didn't touch you, but you heard what happened there. And it produced a heaviness that you would seek God and begin to intercede. Say, God, use me to begin to birth reconciliation in our nation. God, you could use me. Would you just turn right where you are? If you want to come to the altar here and find a place of prayer, I, I, I open this up to you right now. You can come kneel and pray. Or, or you could just turn your chair into an altar right now. Take the place where you've been receiving. You've been sitting there receiving. Now turn it into a place for giving. In these next few moments, would you just give yourself to intercession? Would you begin by praying for these families? Pray for the children that no longer have a father. Don't have a mother. Two women lost. Pray for these families that need reconciliation for our nation pray for these mediators protect us every day pray for our nation that needs God oh father father let us feel the mantle of the intercessor Let us feel the mantle of Nehemiah. 